Thank you. Good evening. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 138 and as well as 2 Samuel chapter 7. So Psalm 138 and 2 Samuel chapter 7. Before we get started, we'll pray for the study, but we also want to be praying, uh, those of you that um, don't get the prayer chain texts, um, Isadora, uh, Natalia's daughter, uh, went in for an emergency appendectomy this morning. Um, so the surgery went okay, but she's had to stay in the hospital because she's had some um, vomiting afterwards and everything. So um, we want to be praying for her, for healing, and of course for the for Natalia and, and um, uh, them to just have peace and for the Lord to be with them. So let's pray. Lord, we do pray for Izzy. Lord, we thank you that the surgery has gone well so far. Lord, we pray for just a continued healing uh, uh, in Izzy's body, Lord, after having this uh, appendix removed, Lord. We pray that, that you would just be with her, you would comfort her. We pray for uh, Natalia that um, you would comfort her as well. Uh, Lord, I pray that there would be um, just a compassionate group of people there, the nurses, the doctors uh, with them, Lord, as they're there in the hospital. And we pray that she can go home soon and just be in the comfort of her own home and, and healing up quickly, Lord. Uh, we thank you that they were able to catch this in time and she was able to have uh, that surgery done uh, uh, safely, Lord. We uh, just lift them up to you tonight. Lord, we pray for our study tonight that, uh, Lord, we ask uh, that you would just speak to us, Lord. We thank you as Mariel uh, was praying just for uh, the simplicity of your word Lord, it's so deep, and yet the truths can be grasped, Lord, by the youngest child, um, and, and a glimpse of your character and your nature, Lord. And we thank you so much. We pray that you would speak to us, that your spirit would be uh, just leading and directing our time here tonight. We ask this in your name. Amen. So, Second Samuel, we'll start there, chapter 7. Keep your finger there in Psalm 138. Verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass, when the king was dwelling in his house, this is David, King David, and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. So context-wise, this was after David had finally been able to bring the ark back to Jerusalem after it had been captured by the Philistines and it was kept there. And remember the whole uh, episode where they, they attempt to bring it back, but they put it on a cart instead of carrying it with the poles like they're commanded to do, and it tips over. And, um, you know, the man who tries to stop it from hitting the ground is struck down dead, so then they leave uh, the ark there. But finally, 
David and, and the people are able to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the whole scene with David dancing before the Lord and everything. So it was after all of this, this is taking place. And so David, he says this, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Uh, first application for us, Nathan was a prophet. Nathan was an advisor. The Lord had used him in David's life. And Nathan, seeing what God had been do doing with David and knowing that God's hand truly was on David, he, he gave him the advice, just go and do what you think. It sounds like a good idea. And so the application is, is that sometimes even counsel from the godliest of men does not line up with what God actually wants us to do. And to step back and say, what, what does the word of the Lord say to us as the rule, the foundation? So that's what the Lord does here. It says, it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, uh, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel, and I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. David wanted to build a house for the Lord, for the tabernacle, or for the, um, the ark, uh, and for the Lord's glory. And the Lord turns it around and says that he will make David a house. If you look, my Bible has a footnote, yours may as well, um, that, that is specifically speaking of a royal dynasty. So here the Lord is promising David that he, he will have uh, the generations of his house that come after him will rule. In, in Israel. Verse 12, it says, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. 
According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. What an amazing promise that the Lord gave David. Uh, it, David wanted to build a house, a temple for the Lord. We see that throughout the rest of David's life, um, based upon the words of this prophecy and this promise from the Lord, David began to store up materials and supplies to build the temple that eventually his son Solomon would, would build. He began to set those things aside uh, for that purpose. But the Lord, he gives this promise. He turns it around and says, I don't need a house. I don't need a place for me to dwell. Uh, he, he, he didn't need any of those things. And yet, I believe the Lord was honored by David's heart and desire to do that for him. And, and this, this place of, of relationship that David had with the Lord. Um, and not just because of that, we know all the promises that the Lord gave to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, about Abraham's seed uh, and the uh, offspring that would bless all the nations of the earth, of all of these things be, becoming a great nation, all of that, all of those promises. And now here's this promise to David. With most Bible prophecy, there is a near and a far fulfillment. Um, there, there's a near fulfillment in that there's something that, that is specific to the people that were actually hearing the words of the prophecy at that time. But a lot of times there's also a future fuller fulfillment of that prophecy that will take place. And that was the case here for this prophecy, this promise that the Lord was giving David. He, he, he says, I will set up your seed, verse 12, after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Who came after David? Solomon, right? Solomon was established. He came from David's body. His kingdom was established in all of Solomon's life, even with all of his shortcomings and the hundreds of wives and concubines he had and his heart going after other gods. Even through all of that, the Lord kept Solomon's kingdom established. So there was that promise, and we see that, that near fulfillment in Solomon. In verse 13, it says, He shall build a house for my name. Did Solomon do that? He did, right? He built that temple, that glorious temple that, that we read about and talk about and, and, and see in the scriptures. Uh, he, he built that. But look at this next part of this promise. It says, uh, He shall build a house for my name, and... I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What happened right after Solomon? The kingdom was split, right? It was taken from Solomon's son, half of the kingdom, and given over to another. Uh, it, it was split up. And, and we see throughout the rest of the time of the kings of Israel and of Judah, the, the, the smaller portion of uh, the Israel there, um, that it was a divided kingdom. And then we see ultimately that because of the sins of the kings in Israel as well as in Judah, that their lineage was cut off. And, and, and their, their kingdom and their offspring were not given uh, to, to continue to be kings in Israel. So uh, you could say on a physical, on the outside, as we look at this, we say, well, that, that wasn't fulfilled with Solomon. That wasn't fulfilled there. 
However, we know if you're Bible students, as you read and you look further on, this is pointing forward to Jesus, obviously, to the Messiah there. Because ultimately, Jesus, both on Mary's side, as you read the lineage that we read about in the New Testament, as well as on Joseph, who was his adopted father, uh, on his side, they both went all the way back to King David and Solomon in their lineages. And so Jesus himself was an offspring of David, come from his body. The Lord has established and will establish his kingdom, and it will truly be the throne, he will be on the throne forever. And of course that promise, I will be his father, he shall be my son, is there. Uh, that that promise, that beautiful promise, verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. It was a promise to David, and David took it to heart. We don't have time to read it, but afterwards he gives this great thanksgiving to the Lord because of this great promise uh, that God had given to him, that he would make his house into a royal dynasty. He would have offspring that would be established forever. It wouldn't be ripped away from him like it was ripped away from Saul because of disobedience. And that is ultimately, finally, and fully fulfilled in Jesus, this beautiful prophecy. David was a man who took the Lord at his word and, and believed him. If you read, obviously we've been going through the book of Psalms, right? David wrote Psalm 119. That's the longest chapter in the entire Bible, the longest portion of scripture there. And it's all about God's word. It's all about trusting, believing, knowing, clinging to the word of the Lord. And that's what David now expresses here in Psalm 138. We don't know 100% that this psalm is speaking of this, that episode in 2 Samuel, but I think it, it, it plays right into that, and, and it very well could be um, from that episode. Either way, there's some very important things we're going to see here. So turn over to Psalm 138 now, and let's, let's read this. It says, verse 1, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name and your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. David, he starts out with this praise. I will praise you with my whole heart. We've seen it before in other Psalms. This cry of David, I'm going to praise you with everything I have. That word praise is to acknowledge. To acknowledge what is right about God in his character, in his nature, in thanksgiving, and in praise. To acknowledge him with his whole being. 
That's, again, what the Lord wants for us. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? We're, we're commanded that. We're told that to praise the Lord, to acknowledge Him, what is right, what is good, what is holy about the Lord with our whole hearts, to not keep anything back. That's the kind of worship that the Lord desires. And this praise that we have when we when we can look at and see just the beautiful, wonderful things that the Lord has done for us, to turn around and give Him glory. I'm reminded of uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, um, where we're told to um, uh, not be, uh, I'm going to butcher it now, so I'm just going to read it. But Romans, you guys know the verse. says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Lord, by his mercy that he's shown us, has has given us the opportunity to turn around and to present ourselves, our entire lives, our whole hearts, as David says to him, as a holy sacrifice, a living sacrifice, which is acceptable to God. When we give him service, we have that promise that it's acceptable to him. And it's our reasonable service. It's just what is reasonable. It's rational. It's it's when we look at what God has done, this is what our response should be. We turn around and we give him praise. We acknowledge him. And then we have that transformation that takes place. Back in Psalm 138, it says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. Now that word gods in the Hebrew is Elohim. There are three different ways that this could be interpreted and look at. The first one, which I personally um, would kind of throw out there immediately, some Bible scholars say this is speaking of the kings of the earth and this idea that sometimes Elohim can speak of judges. I think there's not very much evidence for that being the case. Um, but if that's the case, it does kind of agree with verse 4 about the kings of the earth praising the Lord. Um, but David basically saying, I'm going to stand before the judges of the earth and I'm going to sing my praise to the Lord. The second one, Elohim also speaks of supernatural beings, um, angels, uh, even uh, the, the false gods and the supernatural beings that, that Paul talks about and writes about um, and, and that we, we read about in the scriptures. And in that sense David could be saying before these gods before all of the host of heaven all of these supernatural beings those who are for you and those who are against you in spite of everything else I'm going to praise you you alone are worthy of my worship I tend to believe that's more along the lines of what David is saying here because he just said I'm going to praise you with my whole heart it's this devotion it's him saying I don't care what else is going around? I don't care who's against me. Whatever else is going out there, I'm going to praise you with my whole heart. The last thing, which also could be pointing forward to uh, when the temple would be built, because remember in David's lifetime it wasn't built, 
would be a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. And what do you have on the Ark of the Covenant? You have those, those cherubim, right? Who, who are described in the scriptures as Elohim, as, as the uh, supernatural beings that are before the throne of God. And I'm reminded in that of Revelation chapter 4. Uh, why don't you turn there real quick. Revelation 4. Remember the temple and the tabernacle were foreshadowing types of what was in heaven and what we see written about when we look at the throne room of God in heaven. Uh, Those cherubim were over the mercy seat. They were there before the throne of God. And that's what we see here in Revelation 4. Look at verse 9. It says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the Lord, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. It could be a foreshadowing, a picture of that, that David crying out and saying, I'm going to be there before you in heaven, standing before you, before these heavenly beings, praising you and you alone with the host of heaven. I'm going to be praising you. Either way, it's this beautiful picture of David's devotion. Go back to Psalm 138. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. I'll abandon myself to praise you. That word praise is here. Um, is musical songs of thanksgiving. It's not just speaking, it's singing. It's David using that gift, that beautiful gift that the Lord had given him as the harpist, as the psalmist, as the songwriter, to actually sing praises to the Lord before him. He says, I will worship toward your holy temple. Because of this verse, some have said this was not written by David, um, but like I said, because I read Psalm or uh, 2 Samuel 7, and some of the other things in here. I believe it was written by David looking forward to that point when the Lord would be worshipped in the temple where his ark would be. I will worship toward your holy temple. Where else do we see this? We see this with Daniel, right, when he's in Babylon. He prays every day, turning towards Jerusalem, his heart and his desire. We see this in a in a different fashion but a similar thing that happens with the muslims as they pray towards mecca right um and everything it's this idea that this is where how worship should be done this is the way it should happen where we give our devotion and our worship towards right we're not muslim Allah is a false god i'm not saying any of that that has nothing to do (laughs) with the god of the scriptures it's just that picture that idea for us um For us, we turn it around. We say the Lord doesn't dwell in a temple made with hands any longer, right? The Lord, he's perfectly uh, uh, displayed in Jesus Christ. And so our worship is now turned towards in every aspect, in every manner of our lives towards Jesus, towards his character, towards his nature, 
Remember what Jesus said as he was standing there and looking at the temple. He says, tear this temple down, right? The temple that Herod had built. And in three days, I'll raise it up. And what does the scripture say? He said this speaking of his body, who he was. He's the temple that we worship towards now, not a temple made with hands. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name. That's his fame, his character, his, his uh, reputation. I will praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. We've seen that over and over again as we look at the Psalms. His loving kindness, that chesed. It's the Old Testament version of his agape love. His unconditional grace and love and, and, and mercy. Your loving kindness and your truth. That word truth is faithfulness. This, this, this nature of God that he is merciful, compassionate, gracious, and he's faithful. He can be trusted. I will praise your name, for this is who you are. You are uh, merciful and faithful. And then he says, you have magnified your word above all your name. This is an astounding verse. Uh, we've quoted it before. I know I have even in teaching through the book of Psalms here. Um, but this is a, just this brilliant statement that, that David makes in faith prophetically through the leading of the Holy Spirit, to say that you, Lord, have magnified your word above all your name. Proverbs 30, uh, verse 5 through 6, it says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Right? His word, how high and great the Lord holds his word. For David, building a temple for the Lord would be a thing of recognition, right? For Israel, it would be, here's the temple of the God who brought us out of Egypt, who drove the Canaanites out of our land, who gave us victory over the Philistines, who, who brought down Goliath and, and, and uh, the other giants in the land, the sons of Anak, all of these Things And it would be a declaration of the Lord's glory and of his name. But as the Lord had told him in 2 Samuel, I don't need a house for my name. I'm going to build you a house. And I'm going to, through you, bring forth this Messiah who, who will be the blessing and the glory and the honor that I am due in him. And David, I believe, heard that promise of the Lord and stood on that promise and recognized that it's in the promises of God and the fulfillment of those things that the Lord's true name and glory is shown in, in how his word holds true in every aspect, every circumstance, every line, every jot, every tittle, every letter of the word of God declares his glory and his nature. And that's why he's magnified his word above his name. The scriptures take very seriously the name, the character, the nature of God. Exodus 20, verse 7, you know this, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. If that's how the Lord views his name and his word is higher above his name, how much more should we do for his word to not, to not uh, just 
cast this off as a useless, worthless thing or to misuse it, to mistreat His Word, to not, to not trust in Him. Deuteronomy 32, 3-4, it says, For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Here's His name, His character. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is He. How great the name, the character of the Lord is, and even more so, His Word. Psalm 148, verse 13, it says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted or lifted up. His glory is above the earth and heaven. How much more so, His Word. He's magnified His Word above His name. Proverbs 18, verse 10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, The righteous run into it and are safe. What about his word? We need to cling to that and grip that truth. The name of the Lord, his character, his nature is a strong tower. We run to him, trusting him for who he is. If we can trust him, his name, his character, his nature, then we should be able to trust his word. We run to his word for our comfort, for our safety, for for. Uh, that that uh, rescue that we need. It's what He has given us to accomplish that in our lives. His Holy Spirit bringing to fruition the promises that we have in His Word as we study, as we trust, as we hide His Word in our hearts. Joel 2.32, it says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right, The power of calling on His nature, trusting in Him. We don't know who He is and what He's done for us without His Word. How important the Lord's Word is. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has also highly exalted Him, Jesus, and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does John 1 say about Jesus? He is the word of God, right? Hebrews says that that, uh, God in various times and in various ways spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but now in the la- these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, right? He's spoken to us by his son, and that's the revelation that we have of him in the scriptures that we've seen. The work that he did is written down, declared to us, the prophecies that he fulfilled, the, the desire that he has for us to follow him, how we should live. It's written here in the word of God. He has magnified his word above his name of his character because it's the true declaration of who he is you can say all you want I've had this experience of God but that experience of God only speaks to you of God's character with you I'm not going to discount that experience you've had but the more important more true more clear declaration of his character and his nature is found in the word of God your experience takes a back seat to what the Word of God says, right? That, that's, we fall back on that declaration of who He is. There are those who say, I find the Lord declared in nature all around me. 
and will make the word of God take a back seat to what they see around them. Spurgeon wrote this, he says, Revelation, or the unveiling of God's character, excels creation in the clearness, definiteness, and fullness of its teaching. So his, the revelation he's speaking of is the word of God, the unveiling of who he is. The name of the Lord in nature is not so easily read as in the scriptures, which are a revelation in human language, specially adapted to the human mind, treating of human need and of a Savior who appeared in human nature to redeem humanity. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but the divine word will not pass away. And in this respect, especially, it has a preeminence over every other form of manifestation of God's character and nature, his word. Moreover, the Lord lays all the rest of his name under tribute to his word, his wisdom, power, love, and all his other attributes combine to carry out his word, his promises. It is his word which creates, sustains, quickens, enlightens, and comforts. As a word of command, it is supreme. And in the person of the incarnate word, it is set above all the works of God's hands. The word of God. We need to hold his word dear. We, you guys hear it all the time. We say it all the time. We need this constant reminder the Lord's word needs to be dear to us. We need to be in it. We need to study it. We need to know it. We need to fall in love with it. We need to hide it in our hearts. We need to apply it to our lives. We need to be in his word. The Lord has magnified his word above his name. We need to give it its rightful place in our lives. Do you spend time laboring in the word of God? Do you study in it? Do, do you dig deep into the things that you're reading? Do you have those times where you just say, Lord, speak to me from your word and I'm, I'm going to read of you and, and learn of your character and your nature? Do you take the promises of God and you say, Lord, you've promised this. If I'm obedient to you in this manner, then this will happen. Lord, I pray that you would do that in my life. I'm going to follow you and be obedient to you. Lord, you've said that I need to give up these things at this action I'm doing in my life is sin towards you. I agree with you. I confess that sin. I'm going to trust you for forgiveness and I'm going to walk with you in that. Do we apply the word of God to our hearts and our lives? If we do that, if we have that, then we can turn around and be like David where in verse 3 it says, in the day when I cried out, you answered me. In the day when I cried out, you answered me. It's because he trusted in the word of God. It wasn't David magically doing something that then the Lord has to answer. But it's because David trusted in the Lord that he rested in him. That he continued to follow him. To trust in his promises. David didn't see the fulfillment of that promise that the Lord gave him. He died not seeing it. In fact, his family was in shambles when he went to the grave. Right? Remember Absalom and, and all of the things that were going on in, in the kingdom at that time when David died. All of that that took place. He didn't see that fulfillment. And yet he trusted the Lord. We need to have that, again, that same faith. That's what we read about in Hebrews when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, right? You see all the, the hall of faith, all of these men and women who took the Lord at his word and followed him. And they didn't receive the fulfillment of their promises, 
uh, that the Lord had given them, and yet they looked forward to him fulfilling it for them. And they, they remained loyal to him and walked with him without turning back, without turning around, without taking their hands from the plow. And that's the call and the cry that the Lord has for us is to just simply follow him, trust in his word because he's magnified it above his name. As great as the Lord is, as much as he's done, he's magnified his word above that. In the day when I cried out, you answered me, and made me bold with strength in my soul. This is not David saying, you removed all my troubles and all my trials. It's David saying, no, you gave me the strength to walk through this. In the day when I cried out, you answered me, and made me bold or proud with strength in my soul. With strength. He cried out to the Lord, and it's because it's the Lord. He could trust the Lord for the answer. We can trust the Lord for an answer. We may not see it. We may not get the answer we're expecting, but we can trust him that he's answered us. And when we're in those times of trial or difficulty, when we cry out to him, then we can, we can stand bold with strength in our soul upon the word of God because his word declares his nature and his character. And if he's magnified his word above his name, we stand on solid ground when we claim these promises and we stand upon him. He makes us bold with strength in our soul. Verse 4, he says, All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. This, I believe, again, was looking forward to the time when David's son, the true fulfillment of that prophecy would sit on the throne, Jesus, as we look forward to in the millennial kingdom when Jesus establishes his throne and the kings of the earth come to him and bring their glory into the, into the city, the holy city, the earthly reign of the Messiah. Uh, Psalm 102 verse 15, it says, So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. Before the tribulation, the kings of the earth are opposed to the Lord. We don't see that now. In fact, most of the leaders of the world are in complete opposition to anything that's godly, right, or holy. Uh, it's just clear. If that hasn't been made clear to us, then you've got your head in the sand. Um, but, but the rulers of men are being led by the ruler of this age the ruler of this world, and they are in opposition to the Lord. There's not any man that will be put in any office, on any throne, in any place that is going to be the answer that will solve anything. Uh, there may be an appearance of it, but it's, in the end it will be deception. That's what we read about with the Antichrist, the perfect man to come in with the perfect plan to make everything right in the world, and it's all lies and deceit and bondage. And that's what all the earthly kings have to offer. But there will come a day when that will turn around as Jesus establishes his throne physically on the earth at the end of the tribulation and establishes that millennial thousand-year reign in Jerusalem. And then it says at that time, 
Uh, Revelation 21, 23 through 24, it says, The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb, Jesus, is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. So before, they're opposed, but after, they will sing of his ways. They will sing of his ways. All the kings of the earth shall praise you. We know we have that promise. We hear it all the time. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, right? <laughs> and, and you've probably heard it also say some of those people, they'll bow now, they'll bend the knee now, and others, their knees will be broken for them, right? Here, this is just this beautiful picture, though, of where there was opposition before. There's the, all the greatest men on the earth will come and give praise to the Lord. Because of the words of his mouth when they hear him. Verse 5 it says, Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. And then verse 6 is this beautiful promise. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. You know it, Proverbs three thirty four. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. In all of his greatness, in all of his mighty, awesome power, the Lord regards the lowly. That re word regard means to give attention to. He, he pays attention to the lowly, those who are humble, those who are cast down, the, those who are humbled. The Lord pays attention to them. He regards them. Even though he's on high, he regards them. If our hearts are humble before him, he will not turn us away. He gives us grace. It's a beautiful promise we have. But on the flip side, the proud he knows from afar. That word knows means to discern. He, he, he knows where they really are, right? He knows their true character. If we have pride in our hearts, we're pushed away at arm's length. We're far off from him. But if we're humble, he regards us. He pays attention to us. We need to be humble before him to not be prideful to recognize his greatness and our smallness, his glory and our meekness, and to trust in him, not in our own strength, to be humble before the Lord. Verse 7, again, we have this beautiful declaration of faith by David. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. That picture there, in the midst of trouble, it, that word midst, it means in the inner parts. David's saying, even though I'm walking in the very middle of the inner parts of trouble, I'm on the inside. What you see is just the outside. I know it from the inside, what trouble is. I've been right in the thick of it, in the middle of it. And he says, though I'm walking in the middle of it, you will revive me. And that means to actually keep me alive. You're going to sustain me. You've given me your promises. You've given me uh, a declaration of your your character and your nature in your word, you will revive me, though I walk in the midst of trouble. You're, you will keep me alive. It says, you will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Uh, that word stretch out, it means to, to quickly shut out, shove out the hand, and, and it's like that's blocking maneuver. I'm going to stop the wrath of the enemy against you. you. You will protect me. Against the wrath of my enemies, you'll stretch out your hand. And then it says, and your right hand will save me. And that literally means to bring to a place of safety 
or broad pasture as opposed to a tight, confined space. You're going to bring me out to this place where I'm safe. I, I have freedom to roam. I can trust that this is a good place. Though I walk in the middle of trouble, you will revive me. David trusted in the word of the Lord, and because of that trust, he could say, even though I'm in the midst of deep trouble, I can trust you to keep me alive. You'll stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and you will bring me out into a broad place where I'll have green pasture. David was just declaring his trust for the Lord because he had seen the Lord's faithfulness in his life. We need to look back at our own lives and we need to consider how has the Lord been faithful to us? Has he brought us through trials and trouble? Has he kept us alive? Has he stretched out his hand against the wrath of our enemies? Brought, brought us out into a broad place? Uh, you know, I was, I was um, listening to some old Jesus move, uh, music last night um, some of it not super old, kind of 70s, 80s, some of it. Um, but I, it was neat to just listen to, some of it's real cheesy, you know, uh, kind of, anyway. Uh, some of it kind of sounds like lounge music to me. Um, but, uh, you know, you listen to the words, however, and you hear from these men and these women who lived lives completely just wasted drugs alcohol sex abandoned to you know doing whatever they they desired uh being for some of them being in cults and and under you know aspects mind control and wasted away all of these things and yet in at some point in their lives they encountered jesus and in the the salvation that he wrought in them there was this instant transformation for some it maybe it took time but they all would declare how the lord just set them free to have this this change this uh, i keep saying instant i don't mean instant but this impactful uh, evidenced outward change in their lives uh, uh, of just being transformed and then they're they're writing these songs that yeah they don't sound that great but the words are there just declaring the praises and the grace and the glory of the Lord being set free from bondage, brought out into that broad place, being delivered from oppression of uh, supernatural demonic beings or occult uh, things and, and, and all of these other things, being set free from that. And I was thinking about this and just listening to some of the lyrics and reading a little bit, some of their testimonies and all these things. Um, and I was thinking, you know, it would be so glorious to see that again today. Um, and we have the same gospel. We have the same spirit. We know and love the same Lord who accomplished those miracles in the lives of people. And we do see it. We have people in our own fellowship who, who have been set free from these sorts of things. Some of you are sitting here tonight where the Lord has done marvelous, beautiful, miraculous things in your life. But there are more people out there that the Lord wants to save and to set free. And, and we need to be men and women of the word of God who boldly declare it to be like David before the gods. I'll sing praises to you. Before all the opposition, the ridicule, before all of these things, I'm going to declare that Jesus is my God. 
He's my Lord. He's saved me from sin and he can do the same for you. He can bring you out and set you free. He can revive you in the midst of trouble and save you. And to have that faith and that trust that the Lord who saved me will save that person I'm talking to. I believe that we don't see as much of the power of God in saving people because we aren't walking by faith in the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean I just have faith and all these people are going to be saved, but there is an aspect of our part to declare the glory of the Lord to the people around us, to be his witnesses, to, to testify to them of the Lord and his salvation in Jesus. And I believe that we don't see it because we're not following in it and walking in it ourselves. Again, not saying the Lord doesn't do it himself, but we can be a part of experiencing that, of seeing that if we are following him and we're walking with him, trusting his word. On the other side of that, David, he saw how the Lord saved him, how the Lord rescued him, set him free. (coughs) Excuse me. And because of that, He then can continue to walk with the Lord and trust him for the future things. And that's what he says in verse 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. I mean, what kind of statement of faith is that? It's beautiful. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Those things he's promised, he's going to perfect it. He's going to bring it to completion. I can trust him. We've seen it throughout the scriptures, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing that, this is Paul writing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's a promise. If you walk with the Lord, if you don't turn your back on the Lord, then he will be faithful to complete it. He's begun a good work in you and he will complete it. The only thing that can stop him is your pride. If you trust the Lord, he'll bring it to completion. Psalm 57, verse 2, he says, I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. That, think of that promise. He's the God who performs all things for us. Those things where we say, oh, Lord, why aren't you doing that? We've been struggling here with our finances or our marriage has been on the rocks for a long time or I've... I've Lord, I've wanted to be set free from this thing. Why, why are you not doing this for me? We have the promise that he is doing what we need to be brought out into those things. He is working on our behalf at all times. Jesus is standing before the throne of God, interceding on our behalf. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us, crying out to the Father those things that we don't know how to cry out for. The Lord is working on our behalf all the time. And it's for us to step back and to trust him and to say, like David, you will perfect that which concerns me. Lord, I trust you. I'm just going to walk with you and to trust you in these things. Doesn't always mean it gets better. That's what David said. In the day I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. You gave me that strength and that boldness to press on, to continue on. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. I'm in the thick of it. I'm, I'm down deep in the trouble. Yet you're going to keep me alive, you're going to protect me, and you're going to bring me out into a broad place. We have those promises. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. 
And here's why David cries that out. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. His loving kindness, his grace, his compassion endures forever. It doesn't change. He can be trusted because of these things. And then I love it, David. Even at the end here, he just prays this prayer. Don't forsake the word of works of your hands. And that can be our prayer. Lord, don't forsake the works of your hands. He, we have that promise. He's doing it for us. But David still, despite all of his faith, all of these things, he still has that little prayer there. Lord, don't forsake it. And we can pray that. And we can ask, Lord, don't forsake us. And we have that promise. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Right? We have that promise. F.B. Meyer writes, there are no unfinished pictures on the walls of God's studio. No incomplete statues in his halls of sculpture. When he begins, he pledges himself to complete. His mercy endures forever. Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the fulfillment of what the Lord told David in Second Samuel. That's the fulfillment that David looked forward. That's the fulfillment that we look forward to. Jesus in his pleasing the Father, in satisfying the righteous requirements of him and paying the price for our sins on the cross, he is accepted and sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. His work is complete. We sing that song here, my joy is complete, right? We've sang it in worship. Why is our joy complete? It's because... The Lord has finished his work on our behalf. We can trust him. He's paid the price for us. We have salvation if we rest in him. We have promises that we haven't seen the full uh, fulfillment yet, um, yet we can trust him because of the things that he's done for us here and now. We need to lay aside the weights that we have and the sin which so easily ensnares us and just run with endurance that race is set before us because he's the author and the finisher and he'll be faithful to complete it. He will. We have that promise. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that we as your people would be uh, just in awe of your character and your nature as rightly you declare we should be, Lord that we should know who you are. We should, we should have experience with you, with your grace and your forgiveness, with your power and bringing us out of trials and troubles, with you setting us free from bondage. We should have all of those things. But moreover, above and beyond all of that, Lord, you've given us your word. And I pray that we would have it in high esteem, Lord, that we would love your word because it declares who you are perfectly there there's no shadow of of unfaithfulness about you in your word lord we can trust what the bible says about you lord i pray that we would have that kind of faith lord that we would 
just simply trust in your word and that we would walk with endurance, run with endurance that race that we have that you set before us, trusting that if you've begun this work, you're going to complete this work, Lord, and that we would do our part in just simply following you and saying, yes, Lord, I will continue to follow you. I will put my hands to the plow and press forward. Lord, I pray for the people here that you would encourage them, you would stir them up, you would continue to speak to them, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen.